Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we are happy to preach and teach the Catholic faith, which comes down to us from the apostles. We want to help you to know your faith, to love your faith, and to be inspired in your faith, inspired to live it every day with purpose and passion, and even be able to defend it. Today, I think this is an interesting episode because I don't know if we've ever had a Catholic priest on our show before. And today we have our first Catholic priest, and he's actually a friend of mine. Funny enough, I've met him many, 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 many moons ago, and uh, he's come back into my life recently, and uh, his name is Father Sheldon, and he was actually adopted. He was given up by his mother. He was homeless, and not only did he find God and find love, he has also found his way to the Catholic priesthood where he is changing many, many lives today, and he resides in Corpus Christi, Texas, changing countless lives, and we're so happy to have him here today. Thank you so much, Father, for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you, Brian, and I shall remember our first encounter, I believe, was at St. Patrick's in Natick, probably around 1995. It was at the Youth for the Third Millennium, and it was connected with the uh, Rain and Christi movement, and we were going door to door through the neighborhood there around St. Patrick's in Natick, Mass, and uh, with some powerful moments. I do remember that. So I think yeah. it was <clears throat> you remember correctly. That's when I first started my apologetics, when we started going door to door and uh, doing door to door evangelization. We went to the every uh, house in the entire town of Natick and invited them to uh, a, a supper at the church on Sunday to mass into a, like a little luncheon afterwards. And that was fantastic. I loved that. Yeah. It was a great experience. It was, it was. I remember, I never forget the, the incident on the common, the Natick common. When there was a group of it looked like Satanists on one side trying to throw curses at us, and we were evangelizing. And I prayed for someone. I never forget this. The guy looked like he was behind with real black eyes. And I just prayed God would touch us out. The next day, I saw him in an apothecary in Natick, and completely this whole countenance changed. And he actually held the door for me. And so this showed the power of prayer. While the young guys were up front sharing their faith and witnessing, I was in the back in front of the Baptist church, and. Uh, he was way in the back. It looked like he was trying to put curses on the, you know, the event. And uh, just to see him the next day completely transformed us. Wow. So the Praise God. Week, so. Hallelujah. Amen. So, yeah, Father, uh, today we're going to be talking about your story and how you, I mean, you were adopted. You have a book, and I want to tell people I'm going to link uh, your book in the description section below. And it's called Chosen One from Homeless Infant to Priest at Home in My heavenly father's heart and this is actually a beautiful book i mean i just love the beginning of the book i'm going to let you tell your story in a second but i love the beginning of the book about you know how you were unplanned in a sense but yet you were planned god had a purpose for your life and i love what you said oh happy fault which is what we say at the easter vigil mass with the sin of adam we say oh happy fault we're glad he did it because it brought jesus christ into the world who redeemed the world in such a greater good and greater beauty that could have ever come without it and and without your life without that fault that sin you know of your mothers and fathers you would have never come into the world and you wouldn't be changing the lives that you're changing today it was beautiful Actually, I have a book in front of me. I just put it up here, not to not to promote my face, but just so they can recognize the book. This is the uh, it's coming in here there, but it's called Chosen One. It's by Root Publishers. And, uh, it was came out just about a year ago, about a year ago this month. And it's a short read. It's only about maybe eighty pages, including pictures, about fourteen pages of pictures. And so, uh, and I really indebted very much so to Dr. Rhonda Shervin. Who's written many, many books. Many other things may have heard of her. 
does a lot with women's ministry. She's been on EWTN many times. She's actually even done a series, I think about five or 10 years ago, on later vocations from the Holy Apostles. And she had five seminarians give their witness of God called them later in life, which is also my own story. So if it wasn't for Amen. Dr. Rhonda, if it wasn't for her, the book wouldn't even be here. She, well, let's talk about that story. Um, I'm very interested to hear it. Uh, maybe you could start us out, um, you know, maybe give us a little information about your mother or father or how you came to be and <laughs> what happened okay. after that. Okay. Because well, all I know is related to me through my mother and my adopted parents to some degree, but the real details come from my birth mother, Jerry. My mother was dating a, uh, a Jewish fellow. He was Orthodox Jew who uh, lived in Cambridge. They lived right behind, I believe it was Harvard Divinity School. And uh, one, one, just kind of back or as forward, however you want to put it, I found my mom back in about 1979. I found my birth mother. And after I found her, we developed this relationship. And then one evening, we were taking a ride, and she she pointed out the apartment where I was conceived. Obviously, she knew me because it's the only time she had this. Situation developed in her life, and uh, she was dating this man. His name is Hyman, Hyman Pazza. And uh, she wasn't quite sure if the Lord was leading her to marriage, but you know, they were dating. She never had relations with him. He was still living in a chaste uh, relationship. There's one particular time to be totally you know, transparent. Evidently, he surprised her. You know, I guess today you'd probably call it like a date rape, although I, my mom didn't use that term. And Dr. Ronda and I chose not to use a term in the book, but it's in a sense forced herself upon us, so in a sense it would have been. And, uh, and so we're getting too graphic. She was, was pretty, you know, graphic about what happened, but uh, you know, she said, you know, she realizes she's pregnant. She talked to him, tried to see if he would be willing to consider marriage. She thought at that point, even though she wasn't really at that point making a decision, she knew she needed to provide stable home for me. And I guess he was very reticent. Being an Orthodox Jew, um, he knew that if he married my mother, he'd be absolutely persona non gratis in the Jewish community. I mean, he's absolutely, and that was his own family. And back in those days in the 50s, um, you know, he'd be completely rejected by your family. So we gave you the options. If you, if you want me to marry you, and we both agree on this, we'll go to Miami. We want to go to Miami tomorrow. And uh, my mom said, no, I really want to stay in Boston. Even though she wasn't getting much support from my grandmother, she felt that, um, you know, she didn't want to leave Boston area. So in time, the best I can remember, at some point, he just sort of backed off and then started denying, denying that he was, you know, my father, my natural father. And so mom, you know, went to a um, state uh, um, facility called Tewksbury State Hospital where they have a home run with mothers. She spent, I think, I'm pretty sure it was about two months prior to my uh, birth. And she, she was able to work there. I think they had a farm. They produced some of their own food. She worked in the farm. And then when she gave me birth, um, at that time, they wouldn't let the mothers bond with their child. I guess they were afraid both of the child and the mother to be too painful. And so I think outside of maybe holding me originally, she, after that, she wasn't allowed. Possibly she visited me. I don't know every detail, but... They started trying to kind of distance her from me, which looking back, of course, I mean, today they realized it wasn't a good thing. You know? So for two months, I was in the state hospital. 
you know, trying to get a formula for me that so I could just thrive. And I was just not, you know, say survive. But, you know, being breastfed and the other reason I wasn't able to tolerate some of the, uh, the uh, supplements that were given me. So in any case, finally, after two months, they were able to stabilize me. And then I was sent to a foster home. So I was in a foster home in Hyde Park, Massachusetts for three months. Uh, my mother was visiting me. And in the last visits in November, uh, 53, she could really tell, she could sense some, something wasn't right. I was in a back hallway, sort of dimly lit, seemed to be underweight, you know, as you could tell. And then I think she, I think she inspected me and I was, had rashes. So I wasn't being changed. Probably wasn't being fed regularly. When she got close to the uh, uh, the foster mother, she could smell alcohol on her breath. So she just said that. She saw a number of other children. So she thought she put it together. Probably the woman was just trying to get money from the state, taking a lot of foster kids in. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of oversight by the state. And so therefore, she said, that's it. I've got a place in for adoption. And so she contacted, you know, the Catholic charities and said, please, would you find a home in my son? So I think it would have been two weeks my parents were able to adopt me. November 19th, 1953, so the anniversary is actually coming up shortly. It happened to be the day before my, my mother's birthday, my adopted mother's birthday. So how long did it take to uh, adopt you? And can you tell us uh, a little bit about your adoptive family? Okay, as I said, the, my parents, I think, had put a request in back Probably said it was around June. Little did they know that I was born in June. So it probably took them about, I'd say about five months, you know, in that process. But when my mom made the decision, she said it really went extremely quick. So then everything must have been in place. My parents were just waiting. They're already approved. And so that's my understanding. And within, I think she said a couple of weeks, if I remember correctly, um, I was adopted. My adopted parents, um, okay, used to with them, their name's Anthony. My dad and my mom's Helen. Uh, they grew up in Needham. Mom was actually, my mother was born in Ohio. She moved to Newton, Massachusetts in, um, when she was seven years old. My dad was born in Newton as well. And then he ended up moving to Needham. My dad worked for the public works. It's just funny how, what a small world this is. You know, I hear you saying Newton and Needham, and I grew up. 20 minutes from those towns, you know, and if this is, if none of this had ever happened, I never would have met you. And I never would have gone on that, you know, I probably wouldn't have had the same experience on that retreat. It's amazing how much one life can make a difference. The girl who changed my life, I've said this in another video, but the girl who changed my life and got me away from my heart of stone and anger and hatred and, you know, aggressiveness and everything was adopted. And if her mother had not chosen life and if her mother had not, uh, you know, given her away and she was not brought up and she didn't go to the school and my life would have never been changed. Who knows where I would be to, I would not have this ministry. I would not be where just one life, just, we should not be tinkering with God's plan, with God's life, you know, but the fact is that God can write straight with crooked lines. And even with what your mom did, he wrote straight with that line and brought you into a, a good adoptive family who raised you. And um, um, were, were they Catholic? Were you baptized? Yes. Now, my birth mother had me baptized at three okay. years old. So thank God she had been <clears> baptized by an oblate priest. I even know his name. His name is Father Timothy B. Holy. He spelled it W-H-O-L-E-Y. I even found his grave in Tewksbury, Massachusetts, because he was oh, wow. at the Oblates, the Mission Band, I believe, and at St. William's Church, 
um, is where he was uh, working out of. So he would come, I guess he must have been a chaplain. So anyway, I was baptized on the feast of St. Anthony. My middle name is Anthony. There's another God, you know, you see God at work. My adoptive parents had already chosen the name. If they were able to get a boy, they wanted Robert Anthony to be my name. My mother named me Keith Anthony. And she chose Keith, my birth mother, because she didn't want a name that she had five brothers. And she didn't want any name that she'd hear again because it would be too painful. So she made a request through the social work with the Catholic charities that they would at least keep the middle name. She wasn't concerned about the first name. So that was up to them, but they at least keep the middle name. My parents told the social worker, they've already chosen the name of him. Baptized on his feast day on June 13th. And so he obviously, I have a theater statue right now on my desk. You know, he's been with me from three days old. So you grew up Catholic and you grew up in a faithful household and people yes. who loved the faith. And so that's probably how you, I mean, I, you didn't, you said you came to uh, the priesthood much later in life. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little, an overview maybe of your life. Okay. Well, you know, I, I went just to kind of briefly, I went to Catholic school growing up and went to St. Joseph's uh, Grammar School in Needham. Went there all nine years, you know, including kindergarten. Went to a Catholic boarding school for two years called Cushing Hall, situate Massachusetts. No longer exists right now, but it's a good place kind of a transition. My parents weren't quite ready to deciding if I should go to a Catholic high school right away or to Needham High School, and we opted, you know, this Cushing Hall. Tenth grade, eleventh grade. I won't get too much more detail, but I went to Needham High School, went to Boston College, got a degree in accounting. Originally, I didn't really want a degree in accounting. I really wanted to be a lawyer. That was my original intention. I wanted to fight for social justice. My eighth grade yearbook, it said I wanted to be a politician, which isn't a great word today, but because it was in the time of the Kennedys, John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King. Certainly, you know, I felt it was a very laudable thing. I just wanted to help change the world for the better, you know. One of my favorite quotes was from Bobby Kennedy. And actually, he was quoting... George Bernard Shaw, I believe it goes like this. Some people see the way things, some people see the way that the world is and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. That was what Bobby kind of used that as his uh, during the campaign. So that really inspired me. And so anyway, I went into county. I worked for about uh, five and a half years for the federal government. I was an auditor for the Department of the Navy. I worked in Washington, D.C. I worked in Newport, Rhode Island, which I thought it was going to be the place I would settle down, get married. I was dating a girl at the time. And my intention was to, you know, to settle down in Newport. It's a beautiful place. And that's when God really started working on me. I got back up a little bit when I was in Washington, about maybe 10 months after I got out of school, after Mass one Sunday. I believe it was right after Mass. It had to be. But God saying, just out of the blue, Bob, you know what? Why don't you consider being a priest? I want you to be a priest. Just nothing that I could think that, you know, moved me to that point. I think just purely the grace from that mass. And uh, that priest, I said, you know, I get this job. No, no, I just began. I'm not even a year out of college. I got this girlfriend, you know, I was like, I mean, it didn't even cross my mind. And then he said, you know, by the way, be nice to pick up a Bible. You know, I didn't have enough of my Bibles at home. I moved to Washington. I said that might come in handy. So I looked on the right behind me. There's a, a bookshelf. There's a little 
portable um, little uh, pocket Bible, picked it up and put a dollar for it. And I'll tell you, Brian, when I got home, I started reading that Bible. Now, I'd studied at Boston College, I took like three or four years of theology and courses, but I just could not put the Bible down. I don't know, I wasn't, I didn't go to any sort of like prayer meeting or retreat or anything, but just whatever it was, I had this hunger for the world. I just couldn't stop reading, especially John's gospel. So that kind of started kind of the seed. And then I fought, I wrestled. I remember going to confession in uh, St. Anthony's Church in Falls Church, Virginia. That's where I went to Mass. St. Anthony coming up again. And there was the most precious blood fathers. And I said to the priest, you know, I'm getting these thoughts about being a priest. And I've got this woman that I think that I may you know, be open to marriage. We weren't engaged yet. And I have this job that's, you know, to be pretty secure. And, I, you know, overall, I like the job. I said, I don't know what to do with this. You know, I mean, I can't use the term. I think maybe it's like a temptation. He said to me, well, you could always be a deacon. You know, if you get a deacon, you could still get married, you know, and get your job. And I remember asking him, I said, well, how old do I have to be to be a deacon? He said, you need to be 35. How old are you now? Just barely 23. And so I walked out, thinking, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good uh, compromise. Maybe God will provide this. And I got home and started thinking, God certainly knows the difference between a deacon. <laughs> and why would he be telling me to be a deacon at 23 when I could be 35? So it really doesn't make any sense. So I started getting concerned, like, I don't think this is going to work. You know, the compromise is going to work. And, uh, but then I fought still for about two years. I mean, I would look into communities. I looked into Mary Knoll. I went to the Archdiocese of Boston, talked to who eventually became Bishop Banks on the Feast of the Assumption of Our Lady. I remember that. And they were going to fast track me in the St. John Seminary. The uh, vicar, I guess it was a kind of like the accountant, uh, Father Lynn, used to be in Wellesley, it's in Boston. He was an accountant back, back around two. We just, we just connected. He was going to fast track me in. And I remember giving every reason I could why I shouldn't go in the seminary right now. And Father Banks looked at me, Bob, I'm not going to lock that door. We're not going to get some, a ball and chain to tie you into the seminary. So when you're ready, you come back and see me. I can see. Well, these are legitimate obstacles or not, I want you to take the time. So it took me about another two years, and I won't go through all the days. I eventually did apply to the Franciscans. Actually, let me, I'm missing a really important topic on the book. Before that, I was really getting to the point where it was driving crazy, because I was back and forth, and it's one of the worst place to do, this ambiguity. I couldn't make up my mind. I didn't want to let Diane go. I didn't want to lose her. And so every time I moved close, I would back off again. And finally, you know, my parents were really on me with the same problem. You've got to make up your mind. You can really express and this, you get off the pocket, and you have to make a decision. If you're not right, keep it. So I went in, so okay, Lord, I'm gonna put the police out. I'm gonna ask her to marry me. If she refuses, it's obvious, I just went there. If she says yes, you know. It was kind of like you know, like this like the, the police, and then you know, and she said yes. I said, well. And he says, my question, I guess maybe it was just a, my imagination about this fall of the priesthood. We, we, did, we were engaged for about six months, I think, roughly six, seven months. And I kind of knew that, you know, I'd say maybe three or four months into the engagement. At first, I mean, it was great, you know. And I, there's still some kind of uncertainty. And I started feeling a little bit of like whether it was cold feet or just real apprehension. Wonder am I really hearing from the Lord? Is this did I really pray through this? And because I'm really, I've already you know, made this you know, proposal. The families are involved. I'm thinking, you know, I can't change my mind now. I need to go forward. 
and it was getting more and more of a lack of peace. And I was, you know, going to it was priest for direction and trying to, you know, listen more intently. Eventually came a point that I just knew until there was more resolution that I had to make some decisions. So Guy and I talked quite a bit. I said, let's at least postpone the tentative date that we had. We hadn't put any money down by the date like in May. I said, I think we better really, you know, make a decision here. I didn't want to break the engagement. Certainly was not something I wanted to do. I mean, it was up to her. She could have said, hey, we're going to continue this summer. She didn't. She was extremely patient. So we, we did that. We just kind of, you know, postponed. And about two or three months after that, I, I met someone at work who happened to be friends of the Capuchin community in Milton. And he said, you know, why don't you just go talk to them? Just, you know, to see you know, what's going on. And maybe maybe God hasn't let all this call. So I eventually did. I went to see them. We had a conversation. And two or three weeks after, I made a decision to kind of go ahead and apply. But before I even did that, Diane and I did talk. I said, Diane, I think right now, you know, I've been real selfish. I want to break this engagement, but I'm just going to see if there's any possibility. She was just extremely patient. I think most of them just said, okay, let's just terminate the engagement. But we, we didn't. And as it turns out, the community did not accept me at that point. They said, we need to wait. Actually, it was Father Benedict Rochelle, many people know. He was the, um, not in charge of locations, but he was a psychologist for the, the captions. He said, I want you to wait a good year, Bob, maybe two. I said, I need this woman, almost ready to get married. You need at least a year or two to continue this discernment. Whatever happens with her, it's up between the two of you. But and I put, like, I'm ready to let her go. Obviously, he knew there's no way we can move forward. So we just continued. And within our friendship, slowly but surely, as time went on, so it's the fast track. About a year or so later, Diane and I were praying the rosary. We've probably been to this place. It's the Rosary Shrine in Holliston, Massachusetts, um, run by the Severian Father. We finished the rosary, the big outdoor rosary. As we get to the cross and we're finishing the last prayers, Diane just slowly is taking the ring off her finger. I can see what's going on. She's asking, slowly handing it back to me. Saying, Bob, I have to set you free. God is telling me, He is calling me to the priesthood. I need to let go. So he says, Don't take all the blame. You know, I don't want to let go of you, but now I know He's telling me. So she's officially. I mean, I think we we're both, I'm sure, we're in tears at that point. But we, you know, we kept the friendship, we kept the friendship up. You know, still, and to this day, we're still really good friends. She did get married about maybe six, seven years ago. She married someone from Holliston, actually. Think about that now, the connection. And she even made that connection from Holliston, where the shrine was. And uh, I just saw her this summer. We actually saw each other at St. Bartholomew's Church a couple of times. So we're still really good friends, communicate. And, uh, so you actually got to meet Father Benedict Rochelle, and uh, yes, which is great. and. And uh, what a great spiritual man he was. And he could see that you were conflicted and you were, you kind of knew God wanted you to be a priest, but you really, you know, emotionally didn't necessarily want to be at the time or, you know, you kind of wrestled with it. And, you know, and so God kind of spoke through her and kind of said, no, this is the real thing. This is what I want from you. I don't want to let go of her. I really think I could without a woman in my life. That was really nice. I wanted children. I mean, I had all of the good desires for marriage. And yet, at the same time, it wasn't like completely 
when I made that decision to propose, it was more like I said, I almost got fleeced in. And I, I did want to marry her, but it wasn't like I really listened really to the Lord saying, yes, this is the thing for you. And this is interesting because, you know, just because somebody gets a call or just because somebody feels that they're called doesn't mean they necessarily are. As one wise priest told me, um, you know, sometimes God just wants you to come closer to him and that's his way to draw you closer. And so I know for me, you know, I never really had a true call, but I always felt I did because my mom wanted me to become a priest and she used to guilt me into it and try to get me every way, shape and form to become a priest. And I just said, you know, and almost used it like God as a weapon. Like if I didn't become a priest, God's not going to love me. And, you know, I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to be holy and I'm not going to do any of this. And so, you know, I always, similar to you, I was dating my who is now my wife. And I still had this voice in the back of my head, but what if? And so kind of like you, you know, it's like, I never, I need to fully wrestle with this. So I know either way. And I went on a discernment retreat that weekend while I was engaged to her. I was like, you know, what God's most important. If I need to give her up, I need to give her up. And I went on a discernment weekend just to make sure. And as soon as I got there, I got sick, like out of the blue, so sick. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't get out of bed. I can't remember if I was throwing up, but I was in bed for two straight days. And the guy came in on Sunday morning, all like annoyed and like sassy. And he's like, are you going to join us sometime this weekend? And uh, by the time he came in on Sunday, I felt better. And so I went out there and I heard one talk and the talk was about how you don't need to become a priest to be holy. And uh, you know how the Holy family was the holiest family and people on earth and they weren't religious. And and then I went to um, adoration right after that. And I had this huge like spiritual warfare just happen. just felt like the peace beyond all understanding that I was not supposed to be a priest. And I was supposed to be married. And I felt peace for three straight weeks after that. Three straight weeks, just heavenly peace. And so I guess I just throw that out there because you really did have a calling. God really did want you and he held it and he put it on your heart. And the more you, it even through difficulties, you couldn't let it go. Like you knew it was there somewhere in the back of your mind. And, you know, you just, I mean, if it's not a calling, it's easy to let go. But I feel like it was really a calling in your life, which is why you're like, you know what, I need to actually give some prayer and thought and, you know, time to God and see what he really wants. One thing, Brian, I forgot to mention, it is in the book, um, that my mother, when I found her, was probably two months after I found her. And just to back up those first few months, this was April of 79. Diane and I was still, it was right around the time we would have been getting married, like within a few months. We'd already postponed the date. So that's when we were still really close, you know, together. And so I brought her a few times. And two things happened. One, I think the mom had Diane, my Diane was helping her with the dishes. And she was putting something on the shelf. Mom had this like small baby, this big image of the Last Supper. It's beautiful. I think it was China or something on the shelf. And I was talking to her, put a plate up there, hit it, boom, tumbled down the throat. So on the way home, now my mom was just, I did see how gracious she was. I didn't know all that long. Just put her at ease. Don't worry about a thing. You know, that's just a, you know, a dish, you know. I mean, just, I just, Really love my mother all that much more the way she put down at least on the way home to meet him. My mom was in some of it. Diane said to me, I better get out of the way. That's a sign. You know, am I getting in the way of your going to the priesthood? Because look at this, I just broke the last supper. <laughs> so I said, she goes, I don't want to get in the way. And I said, Diana, for the daughter said I read too much into it. I'm still like, let her go. 
come. But then I think, I don't forget the sequence right, but it must have been after that. I was talking to my mother, maybe another visit with her alone. I said, Bob, I was going to say this to you, but I know you are conflicted. And I know that you postponed your wedding. At this point, we're still engaged officially when I found her. He said that um, I had consecrated you to God. When I knew I couldn't keep you, once I was born, I don't know the exact stage where I was. I was in the foster home or what, or already adopted. But she said to God, you know, I'm not able to keep this child, but I give him to you. It was at St. Joseph's Church in the west end of Boston, right next to Regina Chaley, where the retired priest of Boston, right behind Mass General. And I used to go to Mass there on lunch hour while I worked for HEW. During the time I was searching for my mother, then she tells me that was her home parish. One of the buildings right next to where I worked was where her home was, in the Hurley building, I believe. And then she tells me, I said to God, it'd be great if you'd let this child become a priest. So wow. I to you, and she thinks it was either the statue of St. Anthony or St. Francis or um, St. Joseph. Before this, she said, God, I give this child to you, and it'd be great if you let him become a priest. So she told me that. She said, I wouldn't be telling you this, Bob. I can see you seem to be really struggling with this decision with Diane. She's a lovely girl and everything. But I have to tell you that now. So then I said, okay. <laughs> that All the pieces it. of the puzzle. Well, that explains it. So God takes a, a decision a mother makes like that. An offering a mother makes is so powerful for a father. God takes it real seriously. And our granddaughter respects our free will. But obviously, C was planted probably right at that time. And again, God's sovereign, infinite, you know, listen, he'd already called me from before I was even born. Like he calls us from normal conception before that even. So, but he used these events, my mother's, you know, offering, all the different events in my life to bring me to this point. So I just want to show that anyone is considering a vocation, you know, at least to be open. As Brian just shared, you know, the times we think we're called, it may just simply be God's calling us to himself, as Brian said. I totally agree with that. That's the most important thing, this relationship we have with our Father, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and Blessed Mother and the saints. But, but, but don't to rule out, I just want to emphasize, not to rule out the possibility, no matter what your background is, no matter what challenges you've faced, no matter how weak or broken you think you are, you know, sinful you think you are, God can still be calling you, and even more so to be calling you when you look at the lives of the saints. Yes. St. Paul, St. Augustine, all the way down the line, every saint has their story. Anyway, I'm going to all the different saints. So I just want to, no matter what challenge you may face academically, spiritually, emotionally, you know, if God's calling, he'll take care of everything. All he wants is Yes, Father, I'll say yes. God bless the mother. I don't know the details. How can I do this? It's impossible. Everything we are and do as a priest is absolutely beyond us. Purely the grace of God. Celebrating and have you, enjoy, have you enjoyed the priesthood? Like, do you like being a priest now? Are you glad God called you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can see, I was really made anything else that would have made me, give me the fulfillment that I've had to be able to help people, especially in moments that no one else would have that privilege to be with them. You know, whether it's when a child's born and you're baptizing, whether it's end of life with a family that is about to lose someone, quote unquote, people sick in the hospital coming for counseling, the joyous moments with children, first communions, you know, and things that go on in families. We have this privilege to be with people sometimes of the most precious 
you know, significant moments in their lives. And they celebrate mass every day, you know. And they're going to say, like, anything we do in life, you know, can get habitual. But I cannot live without mass every day. If I miss mass one, one day, probably in the last few years, with the schedule was so crazy, and I lost track of the time, and I'm sorry, midnight. And I did feel the Lord saying, no, I'm giving you a pass. And I looked at that. It was very difficult for me to go there without having celebrated mass. And so it's one of the things I'm always encouraging people really, to get to mass every day. because it's at all possible. Yeah, amen. Person, but, but as a priest, I have such a privilege that as long as you have a master, no matter where I am, where I'm at, I can have mass. It's very interesting. I find it very interesting that your mom chose to give you life, you know, even though people counseled her maybe to the opposite, but she chose to give you life. Now, in turn, you are giving other people life through the sacraments, through confession, through bringing them closer to God and having helping them to have a relationship with God. Now, imagine if your, your mom did not have you and, you know, you could never have heard those confessions. You never could have helped those people, counseled those people, been, you know, where only you could have been where those people needed someone at that moment, you know, and now you may have changed their lives and they're in turn going to change other people's lives who are in turn going to change other people's lives. And it's all because one woman made a choice for life and that life is now changing other lives so it's like a ripple effect so you know the yeah i have a bumper sticker brian that actually came to me i was at the portsmouth abbey down in rhode island on a retreat i was walking the grounds and it just came to me what kind of a bumper sticker could i have a good pro-life bumper sticker it came to me adoption a choice we can all live with as a matter of fact, about five years ago, I found one that was much more professionally done up in Vermont, almost exactly. So I have that one in my car now. First one, I had a friend from Rhode Island designer. But when you think about it, it's a choice. The child can live. Adoptive parents have a child that they can bring into the family. All the siblings you have, all the people that touch your life. And then so many people that are affected by that one person's life, like you said. And just by that simple choice. So I always really emphasize adoption because yes, many times there is a crisis pregnancy. As in my mother's case, the mother's not able to keep the child as much as she may want to. I'm always saying, okay, there is an alternative. And it's the most, to me, a logical alternative and the most likely to say yes, to give another family the gift of a child. Amen. In fact, I, uh, I have a. I used to have a pro-life uh, bumper sticker that says "God is pro-life," and uh, I actually yeah. just we developed a shirt here at Catholic Truth, um, which I think you can see here. I, I blew it up extra big, but it says uh, on the T-shirt, "God is pro-life." Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and that comes from John, uh, Jeremiah one five. And uh, so I actually wear this shirt around in big letters, like, you know, because God has a plan for everyone, whether you were meant to come into this world or whether you were not, God gives everybody meaning. God gives everybody purpose. God gives everyone a mission and a destiny for eternal salvation as an eternal son and daughter of heaven. Every single person on earth, no matter how you came into this world, where you came from or where you are now, has eternal dignity and worth because they are of God if they are born in God in Jesus Christ. Amen, Brian. I want to say something to put a big PS to that. Just a few weeks ago, we had a pro-life dinner here in Corpus Christi. There's an organization called Hope House, and there's an umbrella organization um, that actually it's part of a, a Gabriel's um, project, Project Gabriel, whatever it's called. But the house that we have in town is called Hope House, and actually the proceeds from my book are going to help Hope House. 
And that particular night, they had a woman come and speak. She was a product of rape. Okay? She was born in a rape. I think her name She's pretty popular. She speaks around the country. You may have heard of her. I saw the uh, program of the night. But afterwards, I was speaking to her. And you know, I never considered that, as I said, whether it was a date rape or not. I don't. I'm going to use that term. But she talked to me. And I heard her witness. She said to me, I want to put you on that mailing list. And part of me was about to say, well, I don't know if it's actually it fit in that category. And I said, Bob, don't say the word. This woman just exposed herself in front of like 500 people. I mean, hers was an obvious red thing. I was just an you know, aggressive one. But I thought to myself, no, you know, it was. I mean, it was that term. And I thought to myself, you know, let me in communion with her. She said she wants me to testify before the Texas legislature. Because there's another bill coming up from the Democrats who've invaded Texas, trying to undermine every pro-life protection we have in the state of Texas. Right now, thanks be to God, abortion is illegal in the state of Texas. And all they're trying to determine is what punishment to enact on people that contribute to an abortion. But right now, there's a big move because, you know, Beto O'Rourke is running against our governor, Governor Abbott. So we beg your prayers. Anyone listening to this, please pray if you hear this before the election that Mr. Abbott gets reelected. And that'll get the politics and we're not breaking the rules here, but just, you know, the situation here is that, you know, there's this pressure to try to undermine these protections, you know, to unborn. And what I want to say is the listen to this woman's witness, how she, you know, this is doing tremendous, tremendous good, traveling the world, I believe, not just the country. Um, Witnessing that, yes, mothers are part of a violent rape, but her life is valuable and it's worthy. And she went through tremendous persecution. Even today, she gets harassed by the pro-death movement. They call all kinds of names and, you know, you name it. It just shows the intensity of the spiritual battle we're living in today. And so, I mean, I think it's maybe more timely to talk about this because, you know, I think our world's hanging by a thread because of this, almost like this death wish. That seems to pervade all of society, not just in our country. And whether it's abortion itself or euthanasia or assisted suicide, all the violence around the world, it's just such a tremendous disregard and lack of appreciation for the gift of life. And so um, just want to emphasize that that right, we can call something unplanned. You know, I didn't decide this, but God does not have anything happen that he didn't plan. It's always under his plan. A little card that was sent to me from Judy Brown, I believe, and it said, you know, the child was at the march. There's a picture of a girl at the march for life. She said, unplanned, adopted, I'm here now. Something like that. Not, it was a little bit more uh, poetic than that. But a little picture of a young girl about 12 years old marching or washing at the mall. Wow. Unplanned, adopted, and here today. So I think that's something that we have to realize that God does write straight with crooked lines. Everything works together for the good for those who love God and call according to his plan. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to encourage people to uh, get Father Sheldon's book. Again, it's called Chosen One from Homeless Infant to Priest at Home in the Father's Heart. And I want to, I'm going to put that down below in the description notes. I will put the link there. So all you have to do is click the link and you can go right to the book. Highly recommend it. And um, especially if you want a good inspirational book, uh, true story about how one life can and does make a difference. This is good for us to know. And it's good for our culture and for other people to know as well. I want to thank you, Father, for coming on our show and sharing your story and, and your priesthood with us. 
It's been a pleasure, Brian. It's just great to see your face again and be with you again. And uh, I hope to, when I get back up to Boston, maybe the next time you can be up there to visit your mom. Sorry, last summer I visited her once. We just got together once at my cousin Mike's. I didn't get there for the rosary uh, a few weeks later. But please give her my love and all your family, your dad, of course. And uh, yeah, I, th I just thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to share my life. Hopefully inspires people. I think the last thing I'd like to say is, in addition to protecting life, choosing life, and being open to whatever vocation God calls you, marriage, priesthood, to be open no matter what obstacles. But the last thing, the most important, is that our Heavenly Father has reserved a place in His heart for every single human being. Our true home is His heart. And I just pray that every person hearing this will know that truth, will believe it, and find their way home to our Father's heart. Amen, amen to that. So, you know, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, keep seeking God and ask him to experience his love. Ask to experience how much love he has for you, you know, to be in his heart. That's what he, that's the only thing he wants from you. It's why he created you was to be in him, to have that eternal love relationship with him. That's why we exist, to be with him now and eternally. So, amen, amen. Please, uh, everyone, thank you for watching and uh, check out our show description notes below. And if you would consider supporting our ministry as well so we can continue uh, doing the work that we do here and saving souls and changing lives on all different kinds and all different levels and all different platforms. We would highly appreciate it. So thank you very much and God bless you all. Hi everyone, my name is Kate. I'm the video editor here at Catholic Truth and I just wanted to say on behalf of all of us, thank you so much for taking some time to watch our videos and learn more about your faith. You guys really make this channel possible and we truly appreciate you being here. So thanks again and God bless.